Welcome to another episode of Strictly Business, the podcast in which we talk with some of the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety Intelligence Platform. It's a new tier on Variety.com offering deep insights and analytics on media. Please check it out. Now, if you're a super fan of imported British TV shows here in the U.S., you've probably heard of BritBox. It's a streaming service that super serves UK hits like Vera and Hold the Sunset. My guest today is BritBox CEO Somya Sriraman. She is here, or I should say virtually here, to talk not just about this fascinating venture she leads, but the broader streaming and media space, a subject I know she has a few thoughts on. I should note, this is the first episode I've recorded from home via Zoom, so there's a video recording of this conversation available for the first time ever in strictly business history. Hope to keep the tech hiccups to a minimum. So, Sumya, obviously I'm recording from home because we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Every business has to recalibrate to this new reality in its own way. And so I'd love to hear from you how BritBox in particular has had to adjust. Um, of course, Andrew, thank you for having me. And uh, I have to say, like of all the Zoom calls that I do every single day, whether it's to people in London or Australia or LA, this is, this is one of my favorites because this is one of my favorite things to talk about, BritBox and, and the business. And of course, it's that time of the afternoon that I have my tea handy. <laughs> and among nice. Has God Save the Queen. This is apt. On brand, always on brand. <laughs> it's, uh, actually, I should say, as someone said to me before, where's your BritBox stuff? There's my BritBox water cup as well. You do that one more time, I'll have to charge you for it. But for now, let's go. <laughs> it is, look, we, um, I think we're living in, uh, in interesting times. Here I am in midtown Manhattan, locked away in my apartment. And it's weeks, I think the beginning of week seven. But you know what? Fabulously, it's also been week seven of a fantastic growth for BritBox. Is that because more people are at home than ever? I mean, it's so I would seem the market conditions are conducive to lots of different streaming services. Um, absolutely. I mean, look, there's there's not a not a day or a week that goes by that someone isn't telling you Pluto streaming is up X. Netflix subscribers are up Y, right? And we are we are equally fortunate to be on the receiving end of of those blessings. Look, it's not this is not to say that you know these times are not tough for a lot of people and we're not cognizant of that. Um, but of course the side is people do have more time on their hands. I have more times to be to be complaining about the fact that the episode image on BritBox for Lindley season four, episode two doesn't match what I thought it should be. Ah, attention to detail. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last I've heard, you guys had reached one million subscribers. You've been in the U.S. market for several years. You're now expanding back to the U.K. And we should say BritBox is a joint venture between the leading British broadcasters. So what does that bring? Uh, I assume not just great programming. I, I, I should probably very quickly, I think you set up BritBox really nicely, but I think it's probably useful to just give you a little bit of history for of BritBox. What do you think? You think? Sure. Just I'll do, I'll do a very, very quick. Um, BritBox is a streaming video on demand service, as you laid out, um, available today in US, Canada, and UK. We just announced um, Australia, and the, um, the response has been fantastic. We're a joint venture between BBC and ITV. 
both incredible legacy broadcasting brands in the UK. BBC is, I think, nearly a hundred-year-old company and practically a household name. Right? I think everyone's familiar and most people will probably do two, two things fairly readily. You say BBC and they'll say news and equally they'll say Downton Abbey. Oh. So you will find that if, if it is a British show and it's got costumes, it must be the BBC. And so you get great programming. What else do you need to stand out, though, in such a crowded marketplace? Because there's these massive services like Netflix and Amazon, and then there's dozens and dozens of other niche players. That's probably not the easiest competitive field to deal with. Um, no, sure not. However, I, I love your, your presentation from a few months ago when I first became acquainted with you. And I, I liked looking at that and I went, fascinating. Stars, which is, a, I mean, well, practically a mega household name in the US. Yeah. You know what level subs they're at, or CBS for that matter, combined with the Showtime. So we are very fortunate to be at the, at the receiving end of what I think is a very loyal customer base. We, um, I'm a big believer that streaming services um, survive and thrive on, on a few different things. And I have my rule of threes because it turns out that my scatterbrain can only process three things at one time. So I call everything down to the rule of threes. And my rule of threes for this is the perfect amalgamation of technology, data, and content. Okay. These three things have to come together in the right mishmash to make streaming work. And I think that we were, at, at about the time that we were considering launching Birdbox, technology became more commoditized. Okay. It wasn't, it wasn't a thing that you had to build your own OVP and you had to build your own CMS and you had to make sure that you're setting up your own DRMs. There are so many tools available now. Equally, BBC has built one of the best streaming platforms in the iPlayer that we were fortunate to be able to sort of plug into. So you've got great infrastructure, but I want to key in on this competition question. There's only so many consumer dollars to go around. And we should point out, you guys in the U.S. are not the only uh, provider of imported British programming. There's the Acorn service. So again, the competitive field, how you deal with so much? Um, I think very simply by staying focused on what we do. Um, you bring up Acorn and I would say, gosh, the math is very simple. And my programming team studies this every day. We have more than double the shows they do. We're exclusively British. They're not. Mm -hmm. um, we, are, um, we have access to a pipeline from the UK that allows us to stand out. We have my, my second rule of of threes is the right combination of known now and new. And that is you need to have the right combination of known shows combined with the now, right? This I think is, is a, a magic potion that we are able to bring because we're able to plug right back into the UK and say, watch your soaps in a day and date manner and near live, sometimes live, depending on what the rights allow us to do whether it's your morning, morning television from the UK that's aired to you in, um, in, U in US morning time, 
Mm-hmm. Someone has to edit out the things because, of course, you don't want to have to see, just like you would over here, Good Morning America airs some of the same segments in the 8 o'clock hour that they do in the 7 o'clock hour. They do the same. And our okay. thing was, we're not going to be airing it live. So edit out those segments and then remove the things that might not be cleared. So we get delivered something almost as if, like, almost as it finishes airing. And we do that on a, on a day and date basis and several other shows. And then, of course, I think the other thing that's important is the new shows. So that's our alliterative known now and new formula that we use, which I think allows us to stand out that I don't know that um, everyone does some combination of known and new. I don't know how many people are doing now. You guys are also going to be moving into original content, which is interesting. It's a, a real sign of maturation. It's expensive. It can be risky. Uh, what decided? What what prompted you to go that route? We we've actually dabbled in originals. Um, we did. I think our first original was uh, Bletchley Circle in July eighteenth. Bletchley okay. Circle is a show that I'm, um, I'm a personal fan of. And when the show was canceled, I'd seen a script floating around actually pre my Bird Box days. And it was one that I just kept coming back to. And this was the perfect opportunity for us to commission that. And we were able to partner with ITV and go back to them and say, hey, look, I know you guys decided that it was time to move on from that series. We want to do this one more thing, help us bring this show back on and we did. We worked together and we were very proud to have done that. Um, that year we did a few other things. We did, we did a series of shorts called Wet Talks. Um, we have right. a slow TV format that I think we're calling Luminous, Luminous London or Luminous Lights. So the idea is it's, it's different uh, facets of the UK in the holiday times. Well, is it worth the money, though? Because some streaming services subsist on library programming alone. Uh, is it worth the cost, uh, are you finding? You know, I, I tell my programming team that we're fortunate in that we've get, we have access to such great new shows that we can license. You have to really think about what additional value are you bringing when you commission something or you're bringing a new original. Right? So, and we do it almost as if by, um, by discipline of saying, this is something that we think either adds to what it is that we already have or brings a new facet that we think is important to bring right now to our audiences, right? Because okay. we, we're constantly studying the different kinds of British shows that we know is coming in the pipeline as well as it's out in the marketplace. Right? And my programming okay. team will look at that and say, we really think that this is a show we should be looking at commissioning or at least developing. And, and so I'm also curious, you know, given where you are right now, how price sensitive do you feel the marketplace is? How much is BritBox out there for? And are there fears that if we certainly go towards a recession here in the US, perhaps in some of your other markets, you know, are you someone who's going to be a core product for a more cost-conscious consumer? I'm, um, you know, I actually think that we will probably bear this and probably better than others. I have a theory that in, 
in a time that we're about to get into where I, as you, you rightfully said, the market's very crowded. Mm -hmm. um, I think that we are staying focused on what we are. And I'm not saying that we're going to have um, an audience the size of Netflix anytime soon, right? And nor is that our ambition. However, we think that the audience that will come to us will stay loyal. All our metrics today point to that. Our metrics today, when we look at conversion from free trial, when we look at churn, when we look at engagement, when we look at the number of hours and how regularly people come back to us and the percent of people that watch BritBox on a regular basis, you know, and I absolutely expected a change in it because I assumed that the COVID viewer was a different viewer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're getting this new influx of people who you might not have otherwise gotten to check things out because they're watching so much streaming, so much TV. But here's the thing I want to ask, because I like my share of British shows, but I wouldn't call myself a fan of British TV. Like, so how many people out there are these sort of target super fans for you? I mean, you've already got a million subs and I have to wonder how many more out there are there? Our research, fascinatingly, from five years ago said, you're going to cap in, in the low single digit millions. Hmm. And um, fascinatingly, what I think has happened since then, I like to say, crown happened, flea bag happened, and suddenly there's a lot more people that are interested in seeking out more of these kinds of shows. They don't necessarily True. need just the crown, but they were like, okay, is, there must be more. And right. we, see, we see them coming, and look, is there, um, is there a spectrum of, British viewers, of course there is, right? Like no differently than, I'll bet there's a spectrum of Tiger King viewers. Okay. And I think that, um, I think that people will, I have, um, we also, we also talk a lot internally about the different mood states or need state that people have, right? There is the person that wants to be in the know. And then there's the person that is coming to something for uh, escapist viewing and or comfort viewing. Okay. And you can fill every one of those needs depending on what it is that you're willing to, to live with. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm curious when you look globally, you mentioned, you know, you've just got into the UK, you just got into Australia. How big a global market is there? Are we talking about a Brit box that one day could be, you know, north of 10 million subscribers? Um, fingers crossed. I sure hope so. Uh, I'd say, look, the, the, the reality is our, um, our shareholder parents have, um, have vested interests and in businesses all around the world. Right? There's BBC channels everywhere. There's ITV channels. There's sales businesses. There's co-production partners. British, British drama is hot. You know this. There's broadcasters from all around the globe that are... Um, that are seeking out um, co-productions and or licenses. And we have to look thoughtfully at who are we gonna displace when, why, and how. Okay. Well, you know, the thing is we've, we've talked a bit about Netflix and I think to some degree Netflix has helped you because I think they've sort of globalized the market for a bunch of British shows. But on the other hand, I gotta wonder whether the Netflixes of the world could hurt you because even though you're sort of this niche player that doesn't quite go toe to toe with, you know, the big boys like Netflix, 
you know, what happens if Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, these big players start to buy up all of the kind of content that's in the niches? Because I've seen that play out in other dynamics. In anime, for instance, it feels like what was once niche suddenly became something that the broad the, the broadcasters of the streaming world got involved in. You know, they did. You know, they did and they will and they will continue to. And every single day we're making strategic decisions about what what is our position in that? And I have a I have a mantra which is it's fine for it to be famous elsewhere as long as we know that it's all going to come back home. And do you have like any sort of guarantees from your owners that, you know, exclusive holds on their content or does their content go to the highest bidder? No, they, their obligation absolutely is to find the, the best partner for that show. Right. And okay. they have an obligation back to the producers. So we are absolutely dealing at arm's length with the distributors and the, the sales groups within the parents, right? But equally, they have an obligation to do right by us. And we have, um, we have conversations about what is that strategic interest? Do we need to come in very early, right? What, um, what privileges should we be entitled to or not? But as I said, today, the way we operate is it's on, at arm's length. We are very fortunate that we have access to at least a, the pipeline in terms of uh, commissioning and the, the broadcast schedules, right? That we, we have some awareness into. So you've been with BritBox since the beginning. Uh, how has the experience of leading this company uh, met or defied your expectations? Certainly there must've been some surprises along the way. Uh, yeah, for her, look, this is another fascinating story because I will tell you that every single time I'd look at the numbers and I'd be like, okay, so this is it, right? We had our, we had a royal wedding bump. We're done. Oh, okay, you know that promotion we ran? That's it. Okay, now there's lots more people that are going to churn out. So we need to be much more careful in how we're operating in the next six months. It has defied me. And look, I've been, I've been very fortunate that me and my team have been able to leverage all of this, right? Like I was telling someone in my team recently that the, the fabulous thing about our business has been 10 people come in, they tell 10 more. Those 10 tell 10 more. And maybe the next 10 will only tell eight more. And maybe those next eight will only tell, but it's the, it's the effect of exponential multiplication, which is, you know, when we were younger was a, was a difficult math exercise. Mm -hmm. has now turned into into something something really nice for us we um we struggle every single day as i said with whether it's data right whether it's the fact that you have attribution data that doesn't necessarily connect the way it should right mm -hmm. wait a minute that ip address showed up five times you know that's a mistake now granted i'm not we're not looking at that level but you know there's some system that that pumps it out sure. right or it's the fact that gosh today's content didn't deliver because guess what? Even though the BBC transcoded it, somehow our system kicked out an error. There is every, every problem that you can think of would happen, would happen, and you sit there going, oh my gosh, somehow I'm responsible for all of this. And <laughs> I'm gonna mess up something dramatically because I didn't make the right decision. Well, that's leadership for you. That's the responsibility. 
Um, I'm also curious to get your vantage point of we're, we're having this conversation at such an interesting juncture in the so-called streaming wars because, you know, we've talked a bit about Netflix and Amazon, but here comes Disney Plus and now HBO Max and Peacock. And it's just how does this flood of new, highly capitalized players impact even you at BritBox. And I'm just curious to get your your viewpoint on just the competitive picture for uh, those companies in general. You know, I'm going to, um, these are these are publicly available facts that you've probably published on at some point in time. You asked earlier about um, Netflix and sort of how do we feel about the fact that they're, you know, they, they're a competitor, like, and they're a viable competitor. How do I feel about that? I do think that we, I think we're going into a new world, by the way, I should probably state that first. And the new world that we're going going into is the one that you just laid out, which is there's all of these players who are merely capitalizing on the fact that they think everyone's going to access shows, content differently. And I'm going to repatriate content, which again, your, your presentation fabulously alluded to, right? The, the wars, for who's going to bid up the shows that everyone thinks is going to be the thing that people are going to come in to watch and keep watching. These are, these are things that are not unknown. However, my question is what person's going to say, okay, fine. I'm going to go to Seinfeld. I'm going to go here for Seinfeld. I'm going to go there for office. I'm going to go there for parks and rec. I personally think they're all just going to, I'll sign off to that, watch that for four months or whatever, two months, four weeks, whatever be my appetite of choice cancel, go to the next one, do what I need to. It's something that that I'm sure the HBOs of the world talk about quite openly and we, mm-hmm. you reported on, right? This whole idea of you come in for the show and you leave. Churn is going to be a nightmare for all these players. There's no question. I, I would agree. And and I think that from day one, the the strategy that we chose to do it was Slow and steady wins the race. We're in no hurry to overnight make a mega statement. We, are, we want to cultivate a high quality subscriber. One that we, we think comes to us because they understand what it is that we're building. Um, I also think, and I think I said to you before that I think the world that you're describing is one where it's changed. And the reason I think it's fundamentally changed is everyone else is gonna be duking out on churn. Whereas I think, I'm hoping some of us, and you named anime, so I'm going to go there to say some of us, including Crunchy Roll, I'm going to, I'm going to club them with me. I don't know if they'll agree or not. Well, they're a big niche player for those who don't understand uh, in the streaming world. And I feel like people like them, people like us are going to, are going to probably just chug along on the side because we're going to become your main course, so to speak. Okay. And then everyone's well, all the sides to choose from, even though the side's going to cost you more. But I got to I got to ask, and this is sort of a tough question. It's, it's kind of a worst case scenario. Is it possible we're heading to a place where there is no niche in the streaming world that it is entirely in this world of infinite shelf space? You're just going to have the giant, you know, two, three, four companies that will have literally everything and niche players need not apply. Am I being alarmist here? I think you are. <laughs> and, and the reason I think you are is because I think that I, 
as I said before, there was there was probably a time, maybe five years ago, I'd have agreed with you. And the reason I'd have agreed is because you, in order to survive as a niche player, and the idea is that you need to have enough people coming in and your cost of doing business needs to be able to sustain that, right? Your cost of doing business in your combination of your marketing, content costs and technology costs need to somehow be less than what it is that people are willing to pay for it and how long they're willing to pay for it, right? Okay. Right? And I'm saying that here's what has happened. If you look on this side of the equation, right? If you assume that this side of the equation, which is your people coming in and what they will pay and how long they'll pay for is, um, is under duress, stress, right? Because there's so many more choices. The other side of the equation has been, um, look, the other side of the equation, content is no less under stress. Okay. However, given that the pool of content that I'm picking from is finite, I think it's, it's, a, different, it's a different war that we're fighting in the content space. We're not fighting the same war that everyone else is. Right? Okay. So that's, a, that's, that's one part of the equation. The second part of the equation is the, the marketing. Again, I think we are fighting for, a, you called it niche, so I will stick to that, although we... I didn't mean that in a demeaning way. No, 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 that's not a, it's not a bad thing. Look, we, we've talked about that term internally a lot. What are we, niche, targeted, mass niche? We've, we've, gone, we've gone with every one of those versions, right? But we know that we are for a group of people who choose this. And I say that because that, that actually makes it much easier to find in this world of algorithmic digital marketing. In the world of Facebooks and Googles, they, they will actually treat you much better for what it is that we are doing. And hence, your CPMs, your reach, your engagement, your conversions, your CTRs and your CVRs are, are better than you would expect if you were in a, in a mass world, right? So of the, of the three equations I spoke to you about technology before, which has become commoditized. So I feel like we are, we are probably on the, on the slightly better side of that equation. Okay, not a bad place to be. You know, we should think even broader, though, than the streaming wars. I think to the sort of total video pie out there, a pay television, certainly struggling, but still a gigantic business. Um, how does that figure into how you see this competitive picture playing out? We are not, we're not um, aiming for, nor have we ever aimed for that cord shaver, cord cutter. Okay. We think that we sit alongside the person that's probably watching, and we know this, and I think we've publicly stated that our audience is predominantly women 45 plus, mm -hmm. which is also um, a big pay TV watcher, as you know. True. Both broadcast and pay TV. Um, and I think what we believe, again, is that we're not here to to disrupt current viewing, we're here to supplement it. Okay. I had a, um, my business plan from back in the day at BBC when I did the business plan for this, I said, we cannot be a sub substitutional route to market, we have to be a supplemental route to market. And I said, that has to be how we go to market. But eventually we have to become a key route to market before potentially becoming a principal route to market. Hmm. And, and it's a it's a journey that 
we we think about quite um, quite a lot. Well, I mean, I think whether you're in the streaming world or the pay TV world, I think my opinion, curious to get your uh, impression that there's too many brands out there vying for the consumer eyeballs or, or memory. Um, and I think there's going to be a winnowing on both sides. But I think that presents some challenges for you as well. You're in that mix trying to get that shelf space in consumers' minds. Yeah, no, it, it, is a, 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 it is a scary time for sure. Do I know what new tools are avail available for us not to be winnowed out? I don't know. I'm, I'm banking on the fact that we have a very clear proposition, right? Um, I Look, again, if, since we're talking about everyone else, might as well. I feel like Disney is the one that everyone understands what it is. Mm -hmm. Can you, um, can anyone really tell you what Amazon Prime Video stands for? Everything. Exactly, exactly. So then, then so is Netflix, so is Hulu. So if you stand for everything, it's like you stand for nothing. Yes. Okay, but let me devil's advocate this. Nothing turns out to be a pretty good business. We're having this conversation just about a week after Netflix reported absolutely eye-popping uh, increase to the amount of subscribers they landed worldwide. So to some degree, is nothing such a bad thing? Um, I would also say we do not yet know what's going to happen after this because we do know what happened to them the quarter that Disney launched in the U.S. We do know what happened. They, they took a hit. Yes. My point is, I think the proof's the pudding, sort of. And look, I do not know how all of this is going to end up. Do I? Okay, so is being everything to everybody so bad? No. But British television was never intended to be everything for everybody. However, what I would say is we're profitable. Are they? Is it also, though, you know, in, in this climate, how do you market the BritBox brand? Um, I assume you don't, you know, you're profitable, but not necessarily spending to be in the Super Bowl. So how do you find your, you know, women over 45 audience? I, I alluded to this slightly earlier when I said the, the fabulous thing about digital performance marketing is the ability to, uh, to scale and iterate because they allow you to find lookalike audiences using tools. So your data, if you'll remember upfront, I said there are three things that make this work, which is your technology, your data, and, and your content. And this is, this is the perfect place for you to bring all three of them together. Using data to identify who my high touch point or, and or high engagement users are, and then using the Facebook algorithm to find more like them, fish in the pond. And we, mm -hmm. find, we find how effective that is. And then, and then surely, surely, but not quickly, iterating on that, right? Like knowing at what point do I say, yep, I need to change that pool again. And then rather than use lookalike, do I use a prospecting audience that catches or throws the net slightly wider. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So as you, you know, as you put it, we don't know what's going to happen in this space, but I'm curious if you have a sense of the timetable of how, how, how quickly things 
will sort of come together. Will we know, do you think, by 2021, 2022, how many players are meant to be in this broader streaming market? How many niche will be around all that? Or do you see this as a longer term game? Yeah, I, um, gosh, if you'd asked me this question pre-COVID, I'd have said, for sure, by 21, we're going to know who's in, who's out. Mm -hmm. COVID happens, and I'm going to go, I don't know what new metrics are going to be thrown at us Mm -hmm. that will will determine what happens. However, I also think that at this time, people are also going to choose their um their poison of choice in terms of people are at home so to speak <laughs> and these are these are poisons like how much can anyone watch mm-hmm. i'm i'm amazed like how do we all have any more hours like what are you watching andrew i'm all over the place i'm doing a little netflix a little pay tv sports not having that has really opened me up to watching more than I usually would, which is why it's such a great time if you're BritBox. Yeah. Because people are willing to try new things. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. And I think that, we look, I, I literally went, how is it possible that day one of COVID, I literally see, I have this, we have a, we have a pattern, right? And we know what our seasonality is. We know what happens when we launch shows. And suddenly it goes just like that. Hmm. And then stays at that level. Stays at the level, stays at that level. And I'm going, what is it going on? Like, what, how is it that people know about it? And what is it that makes them want to continue to watch? Right? And look, by the way, the research hasn't come back, so I can't speak to it just yet. But we're, we're studying this, right? To your point, is it that they have nothing else to watch? Or is it that they've known about it and they suddenly have time? Hmm. Well, it just seems like this marketplace is, it becomes, as I think a Nielsen executive recently said, it becomes like a media lab um, just because behaviors are being adjusted, so many different things. But I guess here's one last question for you. Do you look at what's going on now in this very unique circumstance and say, when it ends, when people are let out of their house again, so to speak, all the old behaviors will just return? Or is it, you know what, there's been new habits built now and those will keep going. Um, do you have a sort of a general philosophy on that? My theory is it's the latter. I sincerely believe that we, we as people, we as media executives, we as media consumers have all learned a new muscle. Mm-hmm gained a new muscle and i think that i think that it's here with us for a bit got it well somia thank you for taking the time out to talk to me today oh andrew you're fabulous this has been another episode of strictly business tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers and please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing.